Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know what's coming up, ladies and gentlemen? No, no. Passover and Easter. But you wouldn't know it. The media calls it the redacted version of the Mueller report. What's it going to contain? What will the president say? The president's lawyers are preparing a 40-page response. A couple of things. Nothing good will come out of this report. Now, what do I mean by that? The President of the United States didn't collude with anybody about anything. The President of the United States didn't obstruct with anyone for anything or about anything. And we don't need a report to tell us that. Typically, when a prosecutor does an investigation, if they don't bring charges, it's over. Well, Mark, you said a prosecutor can't charge the president of the United States while he's in office. Yeah, but what about all those who talked about secret indictments? They didn't do that either. Nor did Mueller make any challenge through the court system on any kind of subpoena against the president of the United States. Remember that went on for months? And I predicted he wouldn't because he would lose. So what was the point of this investigation? What was the point The point is to spend two years talking about the investigation. And now we'll be spending two years talking about a report. We'll be talking about redactions in the report. We'll be talking about the attorney general's involvement in the report. We'll be talking about this phrase, that sentence, this footnote in the report. All kinds of uh, smoke bombs, if you will, probably dropped in this report. Because after all, Mueller and his team hated Trump, and still do. That's why you never found me praising these people, ever. Now, way back in March, March 24th, on or around the time when uh, the report was delivered to Barr, I told you one of my concerns was that they would uh, they'd put something or some things in the report about obstruction. Because they desperately wanted to interview the president on obstruction in order to catch him and charge him with a felony and perhaps even call him an unindicted co-conspirator. That's been done before. Just ask the group CARE, and of course they deserved it. And so they were trying to figure out ways to entrap the President of the United States. And as I said on the air, and as lawyers heard me, there's no question. There's no question the President heard me. I know that as a matter of fact. Don't do it. 
period. You can answer questions in writing. Do not answer any questions in writing about obstruction. Because that's not a crime that's been committed. And, in fact, your ability to fire Comey uh, is absolutely constitutional. And the comments you made to Comey about Lieutenant General Flynn, those were constitutional as well. You do not need, as President of the United States, to accept or agree to this subpoena, a potential subpoena. So I told you on this show the area that they will be focused on, both in this report, and I predict now Congress and the media will be this issue of obstruction. But before Barr sent his letter to members of Congress and made it public to you and me about what Mueller and his team of liberal Democrat donors said, I told you that this would be the area that they would focus on, not because the president did anything wrong, but because they couldn't get what they wanted to get, which is some kind of trap. So this is from our March 24 show. Most of you were listening again before uh, William Barr released his letter to Congress saying that Mueller and his team had not drawn a conclusion on obstruction. And however, they have provided arguments on both sides. And that's where I suspect still this will come down. March 24th, cut 14, go. I think back, what did the Mueller prosecutors want to do with the president? They wanted to question him. And question him about what? Questions related to obstruction. Questions related to the firing of Jim Comey. Questions related to uh, Michael Flynn and his discussion, the president's with Comey about Flynn and so forth. There were several dozen questions they wanted to pose to the president surrounding this issue of obstruction. I'm not betting on this. I'm just giving you my best thinking on this. I'm in the dark completely. And unlike all these other people, I'm telling you I'm in the dark completely. But people keep asking me, what do I think? I think this is where they will try and slap or hammer the president. I hope I'm wrong. It's not something I'm rooting for. It's not something I'm certain about in any respect. I don't know how many more caveats I can provide. But they kept pursuing that doggedly. And they wanted to interview the president about that. And they could put language in there that he was not forthcoming, that he would not assist, that he made multiple contradictory statements and things of that sort, which the media and the Democrats will hang their hats on. So this is one area that concerns me. It doesn't concern me as a constitutional or legal matter. It concerns me as a political matter because I, I think that Nancy Pelosi is a liar, that she's a fraud, and she would be more than happy to try and lead impeachment efforts against the president of the United States. All right. As I say, that was March 24th before uh, Attorney General Barr released his letter to Congress saying, in fact, uh, that the Mueller report didn't draw a conclusion on obstruction. Obviously, it hadn't met the probable cause level, uh, nor would it meet the beyond a reasonable doubt for conviction if, in fact, a sitting president could be indicted. But they provided both sides of the argument. And so what I told you on March 24th turns out to be 100% accurate. And when this report is released, excuse me, the redacted version of the Mueller report is released, uh, I, I can pretty much assure you that will be the focus. And that's why this entire process is diabolical. 
There should never have been a special counsel. There should never have been a FISA warrant issued. There should never have been senior officials at the FBI uh, planting uh, spies in the Trump campaign. President Trump, candidate Trump, Donald Trump is the victim in all this. He's not a perpetrator of any kind. And this, uh, you will see the, the howling buffoons in the House and the Senate, <clears throat> excuse me, the Democrats, cling on to anything they can and then want up to up themselves. On the one hand, they will use this investigation, any aspect of it that they can, against the President of the United States. Then on the other hand, they'll say, well, it was a criminal investigation and we need to go further. And now you know how tyranny works. And now you know why prosecutors in every other situation involving any other individuals are never to prepare reports of this sort and then make them public. They're never to do so. It is fundamentally unfair to witnesses, to individuals whose names are thrown around, certainly to a president of the United States, it is fundamentally unfair that a prosecutor's office filled with partisans can write a report and issue it, load it up with grand jury information. You know, I was thinking about this today, too. Apparently, every page of the report is grand jury information, according to the Justice Department. And there's significant amounts of classified information, again, according to various reports. And there's also individuals who are mentioned there who need to be protected since they didn't do anything. Who put that information into the report? Robert Mueller put that information into the report. Andrew Weissman put that information into the report. In other words, that office put that information into the report. Now, they put it into the report knowing full well This is important, knowing full well that nominee Bill Barr during his confirmation hearing said he's going to make as much public as possible. But, you know, there's certain information he's he's likely going to have to redact. And we all knew that was grand jury information, among others. So already, Mueller set up the attorney general. I'll be the first to point it out. You can hear Dershowitz say tonight, I'm sure. You understand my point? The only reason redactions had to be made is because Mueller and his team put information in this report that they knew was going to be made public, that they knew was going to be made available to Congress, and that they knew the Attorney General of the United States would have to remove. They didn't have to have a 400-page report with grand jury information in it. That wasn't compelled. You can have a report without grand jury information, without classified information, without besmirching individuals. Could have done a different kind of report, but they didn't do a different kind of report. They laid one trap after another. And you'll see the media will hold up page after page after page of color-coded redactions, and they'll say, look at this and look at this, trying to incite the public, their viewers, their listeners, their readers, to demand more and more and more in violation of federal law. I'm laying this out now because this is what's going to happen. They'll hold up pages and show you the color-coded redactions. They'll wonder what's behind them. Mueller set this up this way. Weissman set this up this way. These are not good people. I don't care who says they are. These are not good people. 
And when a prosecuting team writes a report like this, it's just bad news. It's just bad news. There's a lot of opportunities for very sleazy things to be done. And even so, they found no collusion. Because there wasn't any. And even so, they wouldn't conclude and couldn't conclude that there was obstruction. And yet the President of the United States is going to have to defend himself and his team's going to have to defend him in public, politically, because of the fact of the report. Can you imagine being investigated in your own life for saying tax fraud? Tax day was Monday for half the country for tax fraud. And they investigate you for two years and you spend millions of dollars defending yourself and they spend 10, 15, 20 million dollars trying to find stuff on you and they don't find stuff on you. They can't actually charge you with tax fraud. And uh, while they'd like to accuse you of obstruction, they just can't charge you of obstructing their investigation. But they're going to put together a report, you see. And they're going to make that report available to your business partners, your co-workers, your employers, your family, local newspaper. What are you talking about? You're going to make a report and make it available. I didn't do anything. You didn't charge me. Where's my due process? Where's my right to, to a trial, right to clear my name? We're, sorry, we're not charging you. Oh, we're just accusing you. Well, you don't get to accuse me like, well, yes, we do. We're putting out a report. Transparency, the public has a right to know, your family, your neighbors, your, your, your employer, your business. Everyone has a right to know. We need transparency here about you. You mean transparency about me? You're not God, let alone a judge and a jury. You make these statements that are unchallenged as a matter of law, and now I have to, I have to defend myself in the public square? Oh, yeah. You got to defend yourself in the public square. And the media, they're salivating. Imagine that. They're sal- they can't wait to hear from you, to spin it. To spin it. That's what the president's going to face tomorrow. That's what the president's going to face tomorrow. Not only is he not above the law, they're treating him as if he's below the law. As if he's below the law. And for what? Because he dared to get elected. So you'll see this breath, breathless reporting. We now have breathless anticipation. The focus will be on obstruction. There may be other things in there. I don't know. There may be other little smoke bombs and turds in the swimming pools that these people threw in there. Because you know why? They knew that they would never be challenged. They would never have to defend themselves in a courtroom. They would never have to make their case to a judge and a jury. They would never have to face anything. Just put it in writing, stick it in a report, and go teach somewhere in New York, where Weissman is right now. That's all. Pretty disgusting. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus 
the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit Imprimus.Hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. no reason for this report, you understand, right? The Attorney General was not obligated to release it at all. And um, you can see, as I will repeat, that Mueller basically set up the Attorney General. He may not understand that. Many people may not understand it. Nobody's talked about it henceforth, so I'm raising it as I mull these things over and over and over again in my head. There was no reason that virtually every page of this report would have secret grand jury information in it because Mr. Mueller knew that Mr. Barr was unable to reveal that. There was no reason to have significant amount of classified information in this report because Mr. Mueller knew that Mr. Barr would have to redact that as well. There was no reason to include individuals in the report to simply embarrass them because Mr. Mueller understood that Mr. Barr would have to redact that too. So Mr. Mueller prepared a report that he knew would be considered controversial just by the process of applying federal law and traditional practices in scrubbing the report before it's released, thereby giving ammunition to the Democrats and the media for the last three to f- weeks or however long it's been to be claiming cover-up and sell-out and all the rest of it. Now, Mueller and his team had to know exactly what they were doing. This issue of obstruction, they also knew that because during his uh, confirmation hearings, Barr said he would release as much of the report as possible. Rather than say, no, we don't believe we had enough information to pursue that, they provide both sides. So who were they writing for? They were writing for the Democrats in Congress, and they were writing for the media because they knew that would be made public. I want you to listen to me. Because every single legal phony on cable TV is going to repeat what I just said now. And it is true. I'll be right back. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound 
to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community helps students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. Mark Luffin, an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. If you listen to this program, you'll know I've never trusted Mueller or his team. You'll know that we talked about what the senior level of the FBI had done over two years ago. You'll also know what I just said today is true, that Mueller and his team put together this report, put all these landmines in there, 6E information, and now bars to go in and take it out. That's a setup. He set up the attorney general, put all that in there so the Democrats and the media, same thing, could talk about cover-up trying to destroy the attorney general's reputation because Mueller wants as much out as possible. Why? Because he didn't have the guts to do in the courtroom what he's now going to do with this report. You have to look at this report as a massive press release. Well, Mark, well, Mark, well, Mark, it shows the president didn't collude. Well, then just say it. You don't need 400 pages to say that. This report is a massive press release by the special counsel that had to be redacted because the special counsel decided to lace all kinds of information in there that would have been illegal for the attorney general to release. So he sets up the attorney general. And that's why I don't believe with a mindset like that uh, that this will be a balanced or fair report. I think uh, it's going to be cherry-picked to death. And I ask you, you've seen how the media have conducted themselves before the release of any report. During the course of this entire investigation, you think all of a sudden they're going to pull back and say there wasn't collusion? They'll be spinning left and right saying, well, that's an issue of criminal collusion, but there can still be collusion. You've already heard some of this. Obstruction, there could be lack of criminal obstruction, but there could still be obstruction. And besides, they weren't sure what to do. And look at the look at the the case they made for obstruction. They should have brought an obstruction chart. It'll be endless. I'm just preparing you. Because nobody knows the media better than I do now, having studied them and written about this. Having studied them and written about this. David, Los Angeles, California, KRLA, the great 870, the answer. Go. Um, you say that the this is a liberal, is by the way. What You're is saying it? that the report's fake, right? And everything's fake. Didn't they say the same thing about now, let, me, let me ask you a question. Why do you have to interpret what I said? I never used the word fake. Why do you liberals insist on lying and deceiving yourselves and deceiving people? I explained for the last almost 40 minutes what I think about this report. Did I say the report is fake? No, that's how you guys think. You can only think in one or two syllable words. 
Let me ask you something, genius. Why would Mr. Mueller put grand jury information in a report when he knows the attorney general has to take it out? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Why would he put Clint? Pay attention. I'm educating you. These are called rhetorical questions. Should have learned about it in fifth grade. Tell me something, sir. Why would Mr. Mueller put classified information in a report when he knows the attorney general has to remove it? I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. Why would Mr. Mueller put information in a report that may smear somebody or damage their reputation when that person is a peripheral player and has nothing to do with the, with the fundamental issues? I, I, I don't know. Why do you think, David, that Mr. Mueller did that? Get off my phone, you idiot liberal. I have no tolerance for you. You do understand, right, that Mr. Mueller reported to the attorney general. Before that, he reported to the deputy attorney general. He could sit down with the deputy and the attorney general all he wants. He can sit down, talk to them orally about what took place, give them information that's not in the report. But he put it in the report because he knew it would have to be taken out of the report. That's exactly why he did it. Now, you call the report fake? Fake is not the right word. This is diabolical behavior from the beginning to the end, and we're not done with it. If you can't prosecute a sitting president, what are you doing a report for? Well, Congress can impeach, but he's a criminal investigator. What are you doing a report for? Well, the regulation requires it. It requires a 400-page report that has to be redacted because you put grand jury information on every single damn page? What kind of report is that? I'm not a fool. You folks are not a fool. We know what the hell's going on here. I don't care if this report turns out to be a wet kiss to the President of the United States. This is a corrupt process. It's an unjust process. All right. Let us uh, go to Barry, Ocala, Florida, the great WSKY. Go. Hey, Mark. How are you? God bless you. And, you know, for me, the apple don't fall too far from the tree. And God bless you and your dad. It's, it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, tribute. That's what you are, a wonderful tribute to him and his honesty. And, and my want, beautiful mom. I want to thank you. And so your much. mom, too. And I just want to let you know that uh, uh, the memories of the radical uh, Democratic despots are fairly short. Because for two years, when, uh, when Goodlatte and Gra- Gowdy and Nunez asked for information, what happened? They either refused, they stonewalled. Mm-hmm. Or they redacted to the point that it was in, incomprehensible. And do, do you ever remember Mr. Nadler on the Judiciary Committee or Mr. Schiff on the Intelligence Committee saying the Department of Justice and the FBI were involved in a corrupt cover-up scheme because they were redacting information? Do you ever remember that? No, and no. they were. And they are. And unless we find out who they are, charge them, and prosecute them, this whole thing will have been for naught. And well, God bless you. You too, sir. Thank you for your call. Melody, Albany, Oregon, the great KLOO. Go. Yes. I was wondering if you had any idea why in the world, if the left was so convinced that Trump couldn't win, why did they put so many resources 
into spying on him. You know, well, they I mean, I, I think I think the answer that's fairly straightforward. They were convinced he would lose, but they want to make sure he would lose. Yeah, but they didn't think he had a snowball's chance. Well, apparently if, they did, or they wouldn't have done all this. If they were, it was just business as usual that they were spying on a lot. No, more. apparently that I don't know that as a matter of fact, but it wouldn't surprise me at all that they were concerned about him. Look. Why wouldn't they do these things? Hillary Clinton should have been charged. They should have had to hold another Democratic convention to pick a new nominee. She clearly violated the Espionage Act. We know that. Comey laid out the case, and then he pulled back. But clearly, she violated the Espionage Act. Not once, not twice, but multiple times. More than that. A couple of dozen times. And we know what kind of investigation that was. It was a complete cover-up. And she wasn't questioned under oath, and she wasn't president of the United States, so she had no executive privilege, no separation of powers issues, nothing. Yeah. And the uh, general counsel there thought she should have been charged up till the very end. His name is Baker. He's now under investigation. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, yes, it could well be that they were concerned that she would have to drop out, and they were going to take out Trump. But they even talked about an insurance policy. That's their language, not mine. Yeah. All right, Melody, thank you for your call. Let's go to Chad, St. Paul, Minnesota, Sirius Satellite. Go right ahead, please. Hi, Mark. How are you doing tonight? I, honestly, I'm a little annoyed because uh, here we are, a whole country. Uh, we, we, we all have to be dealing with this, this uh, pseudo issue, these phony issues that they present to us. You have a president of the United States who's trying to do the best job he can, and they try to, they try to taint him and pain him with all this stuff. It's frustrating to me, to be honest with you. I could not agree with you more, Mark. Um, first of all, I would like to just thank you for everything that you've taught me. I've learned a lot from you listening listening to you for quite a few years. Um, but I would like to know, I'm certainly not an attorney, but everything that you're saying tonight is making 100% sense to me. So my question to you is, if in the legal profession this is so incredibly unethical, why isn't the American Bar Association speaking out about this? First of all, it's not so much unethical as it is diabolical. And some things can be diabolical and not violate the rules of professional conduct. So if you have a regulation that says you are to provide a report to the attorney general, well, you can give an oral report, you can give a written report, give a report that's 10 pages long or 400 pages long. So what these guys do is they, uh, they go for the gaps. And they did the same thing uh, when they, when they uh, prosecute various individuals. They go for the gaps. So what you and I would think is unethical, as a matter of professional ethics, it's not unethical. This is why I call so many of these lawyers slip-and-fall lawyers. Have you ever heard me say that? Yes. Because that's what they are. And you've met lawyers like this. I mean, it is what it is. So uh, you expect the American Bar Association to do something about this? Who does the American Bar Association represent? Lawyers. Well, I guess attorneys. Attorneys, yeah. Uh, now, you can file, and it really be up to the state Supreme Court. Ultimately, they set up the disciplinary system there. But all Mueller and his people would say is, look, we follow the rules. We filed our report. But you included 6E in from it. Well, we're not prevented from including that. I mean, the attorney general can redact it. That's what he did. But you set up the attorney general. Okay, can you prove that? Well, look what you did. Wow, we didn't do it to set him up. You understand. All right, okay. sir? 
Thank you very much, Mark. All right, you're very welcome. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you ever wished you knew more about how politics and our Constitution work? Could you explain the key differences between capitalism and socialism? Wish you knew more about American history? Well, I have good news for you. It's not too late to learn no matter how busy you are or how long it's been since you've been in college or high school. And you can do it for free. Because my friends at Hillsdale College, as a service to our country, have free online courses that provide a taste of the core curriculum that every Hillsdale College student takes. The core that teaches us how to think critically and act virtuously. And it can help you, too. Getting started is very simple. Just sign up for one or more of Hillsdale's most popular online courses for free. And you can learn whenever you like. Visit online.hillsdale.edu right now. That's online.hillsdale.edu. Join right now and you'll be on your way to a rich, meaningful education. Again, that's online.hillsdale.edu. Very important hour next hour. We have John Solomon here. We need to address more of this, and I also want to address the media in a big way with you, so I hope you'll stick with us. And now there's a report that the uh, Justice Department will, in fact, brief the uh, White House on its report. And the Democrats are very angry. They want the report before the White House is briefed. Folks, when you're accusing a president, an administration, or you're writing a report about them effectively. They have a right to know what's in the report for crying out loud. In fact, they should have known about what's in the report long before anybody else. How's anybody supposed to defend themselves, whether it's the court of public opinion or in a legal court? They're all supposed to wait for Jerry Nadler to get the report, make the accusations, and they have no ability to respond. What's going on here? Absolutely outrageous. The demands here. Uh, Jerry Nadler is very upset about this. You know what? He can go to hell. Like we care about Jerry Nadler. Very important next hour. We're going to have John Solomon on. John Solomon is a one of handful of great journalists in this country, and he is an exception. He's very rare because the vast majority are not. And I want you to keep something in mind when this spectacle begins tomorrow morning and works its way through the day, into the evening, into the night, into the next day, into the holidays, and on and on and on. I want you to keep something in mind tomorrow morning. Everything we've talked about here in the last two weeks about the media, pseudo-events, propaganda, social activism, Democrat Party media, and so forth and so on, I want you to keep that in mind. I also want you to keep in mind the extent to which the media in the current situation and in the distant past has lied to you by omission, by commission. I want you to keep that all in mind. And I want you to keep in mind the endless errors the media have made in quote-unquote reporting on Russia collusion and obstruction and all the rest. I want you to keep in mind the extent to which the media have participated in this national scam where they have received the leaks from the top levels of the FBI and the Department of Justice and the intelligence agencies. I want you to keep in mind that at least two dozen and more individuals working in the media today worked in the Obama administration. I want you to keep all these things in mind that are in my book. 
And then you'll know who's talking to you on the TV screen. And then you'll know who's talking to you in the news time on the radio. And then you'll know New York Times, Washington Post, who's posting what. These are mouthpieces for Jerry Nadler. They are mouthpieces for, for Chuck Schumer. They're mouthpieces for Nancy Pelosi. That's who they are. They are a disgrace. They are not a free press. They are a propaganda mill. This is a phony issue. This is a pseudo-event. And yet they seek to use pseudo-events, one after another. One layered on top of the other. To try and drive this nation to the left and into the hands of the Democrat Party. This is all about not even 2020. It's about 2016. They reject the election of 2016. They reject 63 million votes. And so what has happened? The progressives control most of the instrumentalities of this culture. One of the ones they don't control is this program and conservative talk radio. And so they are using the media. They are using the government. Anything and everything they can to claw their way back into power. And they've only just begun. But guess what? We've only just begun, too. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, I and uh, other radio hosts were invited to the White House today for a briefing. Unfortunately, I can't go to most of these events because I'm producing Levin TV. I'm working on my book. I'm preparing for my radio show. There's just a lot going on. So, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go, but I want to thank the White House for inviting me and I believe a number of other radio hosts. Because I think that's smart. I think it's smart. I think that's to their strength, conservative talk radio. Now, let me tell you what we're dealing with. You're going to be seeing this tomorrow. It's going to upset you, so stick with me. We can, we can handle this together with sober thought and strong, back, and strong backbones. As I tell you, these attacks on Trump are really aimed at you. You can see people who wear these... These MAGA hats, they're under attack. You can see how Trump supporters are under attack on MSNBC and CNN, the things they call, the the things they say to you. And I want to get into this a little bit. All of you who are calling in and you've been uh, put on hold, please stay there. We'll get to you eventually, I promise. Unfreedom of the press, the timing of this book couldn't be better. I didn't write it to be released in May. I just wrote it. I thought it was necessary, but events are coming to a head, and I think it's very important. And in my new book, there's a fellow by the name of Bobby Azarian. He's a Ph.D. He's actually quite ubiquitous in terms of writing. He's written for 
The Atlantic, The New York Times, BBC Futures, Scientific America, Slate, The Huffington Post, Quartz, and Psychology Today. And he's a PhD. He's a cognitive neuroscientist. He's affiliated with George Mason University, and he's a freelance journalist. And he wrote in Psychology Today, and I want you to listen to this. As I say, it's in my book. The only thing that might be more perplexing than the psychology of Donald Trump is the psychology of his supporters. You. In their eyes, the Donald can do no wrong. Even Trump himself seems to be astonished by this phenomenon. Azarian, therefore, will undertake the superhuman task of psychoanalyzing tens of millions of the president's supporters. You. From his lofty media perch at Psychology Today. He goes on, so how exactly are Trump loyalists psychologically or neurologically different from everyone else? What's going on in their brains that makes them so blindly devoted? Now, I'm not going to read his entire article, nor do I quote from his entire article in the book, but there are highlights. He argues there's four possibilities of why you, Trump supporters, are the way you are. First is the Dunning-Kruger effect. Some believe that many of those who support Donald Trump do so because of ignorance. Basically, they're underinformed or misinformed about the issues at hand. Or, number two, hypersensitivity to threat. Science has unequivocally shown that the conservative brain has an exaggerated fear response when faced with stimuli that may be perceived as threatening. These brain responses are automatic and not influenced by logic or reason. Fear keeps Trump's followers energized and focused on safety. Or maybe it's number three, terror management theory. When people are reminded of their own mortality, what happens with fear-mongering, they will more strongly defend those who share their worldviews and national or ethnic identity and act out more aggressively towards those who do not. He says, by constantly emphasizing existential threat, Trump creates a psychological condition that makes the brain respond positively rather than negatively to bigoted statements and divisive rhetoric. You didn't even know this about yourselves. Or maybe it's number four, high attention engagement. Essentially, the loyalty of Trump supporters may in part be explained by America's addiction with entertainment and reality TV. He goes on. He keeps us on the edge of our seat, and for that reason, some Trump supporters will forgive anything he says. They're happy as long as they are kept entertained. Azarian assures us that these explanations do not apply to all Trump supporters. In fact, some are likely intelligent people who know better, but are supporting Trump to be rebellious or to introduce chaos into the system. They may have such distaste for the establishment and Hillary Clinton that their vote for Trump is a symbolic middle finger directed at America, and that is Washington. So here you have a perfect illustration of how you're thought of in the media by the left and academia. You see, it's my contention that this outrageous slander against millions of Americans, patriotic, hardworking, tax-paying Americans, intelligent Americans, that this view is widespread throughout newsrooms in the country, particularly on the East and West Coasts. 
this horrific contempt that they have for the average American who makes this country work. The Democratic Party press. They have to convince themselves. And they have. Of their righteousness. And then they have contempt for you. You're going to see this. You're going to see this all tomorrow morning. All throughout the day. You know, shortly after Trump's election, on November 11, 2016, there's a fellow by the name of Will Ron at CBS News. He's a digital political correspondent. He's the network's managing director of politics, or at least he was. He wrote a very interesting piece. Again, this is in Unfreedom of the Press. I'm giving you little tidbits. Not even close to the whole enchilada. So you'll understand why this is important at this time. To address these things with this book. And his piece was called The Unbearable Smugness of the Press. Now he's one of the press. And he excoriated the party press. And his fellow journalists. Here's what he said in part. The mood in the Washington press corps is bleak. This is a few days after the election. And deservedly so. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that with a few exceptions, we were all tacitly or explicitly with her. Which has led to a certain anguish in the face of Donald Trump's victory. More than that and more importantly, we also missed the story. After having spent months mocking the people who had a better sense of what was going on. This is all symptomatic of modern journalism's great moral and intellectual failing. It's unbearable smugness. Trump knew what he was doing when he invited his crowds to jeer and hiss the reporters covering him. They hate us and have for some time. And can you blame them? Journalists love mocking Trump supporters. As Azarian did, I just pointed it out. We diagnose them as racists in the way dark age clerics confuse medical problems with demonic possession. Journalists at worst see ourselves as priestly as a priestly caste. We believe we not only have access to the indisputable facts, but also a greater truth, a system of beliefs divine from an advanced understanding of justice. This is all white lash, you see. Trump voters are racist and sexist, so there must be more racist and sexist than we realize. Or so we convince ourselves. Journalists increasingly don't even believe in the possibility of reasoned disagreement, and as such ascribe cynical motives to those who think about things a different way. As a direct result, we get it wrong with greater frequency. Out on the road, we forget to ask the right questions. We can't even imagine the right question. We go into assignments too certain that we find what we will find will serve to justify our biases. Now, he was right. But the media don't care, do they? And despite his warnings to his colleagues since the election that he's writing about a few days after the election, the Democratic Party press has unleashed a relentless and hellish campaign of insult and condemnation against President Trump, whom they seek to drive from office, and his supporters, for whom they now have open disdain. And there are few 
media platforms, aside from conservative talk radio, some on Fox, Sinclair, just a few others. But not enough to counter this, to balance this. To counter this and balance this. That is exactly what's taking place. By the end of tomorrow, when I come back on the radio, you're going to have had uh, your stomach full of the media, what they're going to do tomorrow, and the Democrats, and you'll see that they're one and the same. Sean Hannity has asked me, he asked me the other day if I would come on when the report is released, and I will, so that will be tomorrow night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time, magically enough, on the Hannity TV show. But I am hoping, because I expected this, I am hoping that we will gather our, ourselves, that we will think about what's taking place to our country, and realize that we have a huge problem, and it is the media. I want to strongly suggest you go to Amazon.com right now, pre-order your copy of Unfreedom of the Press, because upon its release, we're going to hit the ground running because the hour is late and we have a lot of ground to make up. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. John Solomon, a truly great journalist with The Hill. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Good to be with you, Mark. I've got a couple areas I want to address with you before we get to your outstanding article today. Thank you. I just found and just heard that Chuck Todd uh, was flipping out, that the New York Times reported that DOJ officials spoke to the White House lawyers about some details in this Mueller report. This is part of the problem, John Solomon. The President of the United States is the executive branch. That's right. The report is done that involves among others, the president and the White House. That's right. Although the president has told the attorney general, you make decisions about redactions and so forth, the president of the United States isn't a bystander. He's not an observer. He can assert whatever privileges he wants to over it. This is a separation of powers issue. Why would Chuck Todd call this potentially collusion between the president and his own Department of Justice? He's not The president of the United States isn't even being criminally investigated at this point. Listen, anyone from NBC News who wants to argue about collusion probably should find another word because they gave us two years of a bogus Russia collusion story and it didn't happen, right? So they're just searching for a new collusion. Let's, let's look at it from what I know. I've covered the Justice Department for 30 years. You work there. You know this. When you have something where the president provides unprecedented cooperation, gives uh, tens of thousands of documents of what was going on in the White House. Those are known as equities. They have, they're covered by executive privilege. And when you get to the point of releasing information to the public that was shared under a confidential arrangement or a grand jury scenario, it has to be checked with the White House. Are, are there any documents here that uh, affect your executive privilege or other privileges that a president enjoys? This is a normal communication process that goes on. It went on with Ken Starr and, and the Whitewater investigation in certain matters. It's gone on in many special prosecutors and other uh, matters throughout history. And I think any reporter who hyperventilates over the contact clearly hasn't covered the last 30 years of how the Justice Department works in investigations just like this one. 
But but and I'm also confused as to what his complaint is. Is the White House supposed to sit there and wait till Jerry Nadler starts attacking them? The White House, the president, his lawyers, this they have ever, effectively. This may seem odd, but effectively, it's his report. It's the president's right. report. We've now re, we, we've we've turned ourselves into a pretzel here. We have a special counsel criminally investigating, among others, the president who cannot be indicted while he's in office. And we are told that if he fires the FBI director, that's obstruction where a president obviously can fire an inferior employee, that he he will have been said to have interfered with an investigation that was never interfered with. You have a report that is delivered to the attorney general and the attorney general under the regulation doesn't even have to make it public, doesn't even have to give it to Congress. President says he'll make the decisions on redactions. I'm not claiming executive privilege. So he's sharing some of the information in the report with the president's lawyers. And all of a sudden, we're supposed to be disgusted, shocked. This is unconscionable. What are they talking about? It's uh, it's a lot of do about nothing, I think. Listen, if, if the president was there editing the report and taking out embarrassing things to him, that would be a much different scenario. That's not what's going on here. This is a normal communication process that goes on in sensitive investigations, particularly where a White House volunteers information to the investigation to help get answers but still uh, retains or uh, maintains some form of privilege, and it needs to be checked. Things just need to be checked. Remember, some of the people who got to testify in this investigation were the White House uh, counsel, uh, Don McGahn. There are certain privileges that belong not just to Trump, but to the office of the presidency. And when you get to that moment of release, those are the sort of due diligence conversations that often go on between the Justice Department and the White House. Two days from now, I don't think we'll be hyperventilating over that at all. Before I get to your magnificent article, one more thing. Sure. I said here tonight, and I just decided to put this marker down because I was thinking about it. (laughs) This report was written by Mueller and his team. Right. Apparently, virtually every page has 6E grand jury information on it. That's right. Robert Mueller is a prosecutor. He was FBI director. He was a U.S. attorney. He's got a very aggressive staff of prosecutors, many of whom are very partisan. Got it. They know that grand jury information under Rule 6E is secret and that an attorney general on his own cannot release it and that it is not supposed to be released to the public, and that includes Congress. Correct? That's correct. Same with certain classified information. Correct? That's right. Same with information that may smear somebody who is really not involved in the investigation in a serious way. In other words, these things are supposed to be expunged as a matter of course, legal course, correct? That's correct. So why did he put them all in there? Well, listen, I think at the end of the day, sometimes we in the media and and the American public forget the purpose of this report wasn't to be released to the public. It wasn't to create some narrative. It was to inform the Justice Department about why Bob Mueller ended up where Bob Mueller ended up. But here, here's it's, John. By here's very the nature, it's secret. No, but here's the problem with this. Yep. Bill Barr, when he was testifying during his confirmation hearing, yep. he said he's going to make as much of the report available as possible. So he already said, I'm not going to keep this whole report secret. That's right. Mr. Mueller reports to Barr, he reports to Rosenstein before Barr, so he can communicate with them all the time about anything he wants to. That's right. Including what's going to be in the report. We know, as a matter of fact, they did. 
So, but to put in a report that he knows the attorney general said he's going to make as much public as possible, knowing that all these things are going to be redacted, I'm telling you as somebody who had to write reports, why would you put all this grand jury information apparently on every page of the report? It is a great question. And listen, one of the things I've heard from people who have some familiarity with the report is it's sort of written this way. If we were going to charge the president, this would be the evidence. Oh, by the way, we don't really have enough to charge the president. I think when we see the report tomorrow, we're going to see a narrative attempt. And one of the things I learned early on was that some of the prosecutors created. Hold your thought. Hold your thought, John Solomon. I want to hear this. We'll be right back. Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Back to our journalist, real journalist. It's rare. Uh, it's like finding a, uh, a one-horned uh, cattle, a one-horned cow or whatever you call it, a, a bull, bull. Um, John Solomon, you were, you were saying, and I had to cut you off. Sure, yeah, I think there's an important... We'll see something tomorrow that will, I think, to the average American, suggest that this document was written more to be a political document than to be a legal document. And that is that uh, I was told by a senior justice official who saw the report early on that Mueller's team created, like, many narrative summaries that they said could be released right away. No reason. It gets right to the attention of the thing. They weren't worried about giving the confidential report to, uh, to Attorney General Barr. They were worried about what their public narrative would be in controlling that. I think a lot of people will read this tomorrow and wonder, is this a political document more than it is a legal document? And I think from what I've heard about the way it's written, uh, most people, those who support Trump and probably a lot of those in the middle, will conclude it's more of a political document than a legal document. And if it's more of a political document than a legal document, what does that say about the special counsel's operation? It's a great question, and I think uh, Attorney General Barr might have something to say about that tomorrow at his uh, press conference at 9.30. I know there's been some consternation of how they've had to edit this report to stay in compliance with the law and, and yet uh, not you know, undercut what the public can learn from it. And I think in part of it, it's because of the way the report was written. I think it's a good question that we should all ask the Attorney General tomorrow. Are you satisfied with the way this report was written? I get the sense that he might not be. And they've tried to destroy his reputation after 45 years in the, as, as a lawyer um, in order to, uh, to, to, again, set up a scenario. That is the left, many in the media, the Democrats for sure, uh, so they can accuse him of a cover-up. Yeah, that's a, clearly the narrative that's going on, even with the Chuck Todd report tonight, of suggesting that maybe at this late stage there's a cover-up going on instead of understanding the actual process that per- played out today. But at the end of the day, I think most Americans have moved on. I don't think this report is going to change many minds. I think to some it will be disappointing uh, that it doesn't have more to it. The people who are holding out for the great uh, uh, collusion theory, I think they're going to find out that that collusion theory was ruled out pretty early on when Mueller started. And then, you know, there'll be a lot of tantalizing details about alleged obstruction, but there'll be no basis for charging the president. And I think most of the country will move on at that point. Easter will come and we'll be on to a new topic. But I don't think the Democrats will. I think they'll use this as opposition right. research. Oh, absolutely. And, and by the way, John, so have you ever seen a committee of Congress subpoena a president's bank? 
it's it's pretty extraordinary. I mean, if you remember, there were some bank accounts that were subpoenaed uh, uh, by the Whitewater Committee related to the SNL. So I mean, it's not unprecedented, but I do think a that president's uh, accounts. Sure. Well, I mean, at the time it was he was the governor of Arkansas when he had the Whitewater accounts, but he was the sitting president when they subpoenaed those accounts. But I agree, it's a, it's a really unusual thing. And what it is is when they're trying to find any spaghetti that will stick on the wall. That's really the political strategy here. And at, over time, that could have a, a, a bad political effect on the Democrats. The American people are pretty smart. They kind of get when the uh, when someone is shooting blanks out of a gun. And I think it's soon that political gun may, may be shooting blanks if they just keep wandering around trying to find something to stick around the president's neck. Now, you wrote a, uh, a, a great piece uh, in The Hill called 10 post Mueller questions that could turn the tables on Russian collusion investigators. Go ahead. Let's go through some of these. Yeah, this is so important. Over in the shadows of all of the drama the last two years when we've been talking about Russian collusion that turns out didn't exist, there have been some pretty important investigations going on behind the scenes, particularly Inspector General Michael Horowitz at the Justice Department. He's interviewed almost 100 witnesses in his probe of FISA abuses. And you've got some referrals from Devin Nunez, some questions that were asked by Chuck Grassley, and all of those things are starting to roll up into a pretty significant review of the FBI's conduct and the larger intelligence community. Community's conduct and the narrative that I think Americans may come to accept in this, uh, where this all ends up, is our FBI, our intelligence community, was used to carry out a political dirty trick by Hillary Clinton and her supporters. First, to try to beat Trump at the polls, and when that failed, to delegitimize his his election victory after he'd become president. That's such a serious thing that we all need to look at. And I think there are many questions that are now on the cusp of these investigations. Barr is going to do one on his own, the IG. Things like, when did the FBI first know the dossier was paid by the Clintons? And if they knew it early on before they went to the court, which uh, the evidence seems to suggest strongly, why didn't they uh, tell the court? How much evidence of innocence did they find on Papadopoulos and Carter Page and didn't tell the court? Intercepts from people like um, uh, Stephen Halper, the informer, in which these two guys made exculpatory statements, and they don't tell the court that, hey, these guys are telling us they're innocent, and they're kind of proving it in these conversations. Those are Here's another one, one of my favorite ones, because we forget about this. Did Jim Comey, the guy who uh, slammed Hillary Clinton for uh, mishandling classified information but wouldn't charge her criminally, did he mishandle classified information when he leaked his memos to his lawyers and to the media? There's an ongoing probe about that. That could come out very soon. That could be very instrumental in understanding Comey's conduct. So there's some 10 big questions here. Uh, the Republicans in Congress have done a good job getting some of the evidence out. But these investigations will give us access to the rest of the story. And we could have a very serious basis and a very serious debate about just how badly the FBI acted and how badly it was used as a political dirty trick. And yet, John, so there's something very unusual taking place. Yeah. We have, um, I would say, I'll just throw a number out there, 90, 95% of the so-called media who don't care about any of this. They weigh about 5%, maybe 10%. That keeps digging and digging and finding more, trying to find out what's taking place. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and I think, you know, the one thing that I have seen is when these IG reports have come out, it has been a moment where even the media that ignored everything before that, they stop and pause and say, well, well there really was a problem there. Uh, the Hillary Clinton uh, email case was mishandled, and there was some political bias with the, with the uh, agents in these text messages. 
I think the next couple of reports are going to be very, very strong reports. The one on Comey, the one on FISA, and then whatever Bill Barr, with his 45 years of experience, whatever he can say about the misuse of the intelligence community. I think everyone will pay attention to that, even those who are on the Russian collusion narrative and maybe going through a period of mourning that they were wrong. I think they're still going to have to cover this, and I think the evidence that will be exposed, particularly if the president declassifies the documents he's been asked to, will, will shock all of our consciences. Even if you don't like Donald Trump or you do like Donald Trump, I think some of the tactics and some of the things that went on in this case are going to shock the American conscience, regardless of your political affiliation. And I've said this myself, and I understand the president said it today to uh, my colleague, Larry O'Connor, who's a terrific radio host on WMAL. Right. Uh, he's, he was asked if he thought Obama knew about this. And the president said, how could he not? This is a point I've been making now for a long time. How could Obama not know when back in March, all these leaks in the newspaper, you start pulling them together, at least at a minimum he's reading the newspaper, but how would he not know about a repeated FISA applications? Yeah, so I'm going to tell you two things. In my column today, in bullet item number nine, question nine, there's a famous quote from uh, Pete Strzok's text messages that we should all pay attention to. Pete Strzok texts his girlfriend, Lisa Page, the White House is running this. He's talking about the Russian investigation. Of course, Obama had to know something or a lot about this. But I'm working on a story next week. Hopefully, I can come back on your show. Uh, we're going to talk about a very important meeting in January, not 17, but January 2016, a very important meeting that puts the White House in the middle of the beginnings of the Russia collusion investigation. I can't wait to come back and share that with you when I do a little more reporting. But you're absolutely right there is going to be a connection to the Obama White House that's much larger than that's been illuminated to this point. Now, the only problem saying that now is every backbencher in America is going to want you on their show, but I, you bet. I, mean, oh, I got my word. Ahead. I'll come back on yours first. <laughs> All right. We'll love to have you and love to go over it. Now, let me Thanks, ask Mark. you this question. Sure. I've said this report may turn out to be just a massive press release. You've said something not exactly akin to that, but that it's really written for the public. And uh, I have two concerns about this, John Solomon. You've been around Washington a long time. You've worked at the AP. You've worked at a lot of very big, big newspapers. You're now covering the Hill with the Hill newspaper. Um, we can't have prosecutors conducting themselves this way. I mean, all of us, the American people, prosecutors are public figures that have a role. They need to stay in their lane. They're not supposed to be writing reports for the public, even if they're writing a report for the Attorney General of the United States. That's number one. Number two. Do you think, regardless of what's in this report, that individuals like Gerald Nadler and so forth are going to be wringing their hands as they are pre-report and now trying to move this into an impeachment sequence? I think the threshold for impeachment will be pretty tough to meet, given what I know is in the evidence of the report. Uh, but will they try? Will they try to make anything stick? Will they do anything to prolong any attacks that continue to stick on the president? Of course, they're going to do that because they've shown that from the moment they got in. Listen, their first witness, they could have called a lot of witnesses that could have done really important oversight for the Congress. Their first witness was Michael Cohen, a proven liar. He comes in, he testifies, he lies again. The American people have figured out the Democrats are less interested in the sort of old-fashioned oversight they used to do years ago, and they're more interested in theater. And I think, you know, it's funny, 
Bobby, the question you asked about prosecutors. I just had coffee this afternoon with a former U.S. attorney about 10 years ago, very prominent, very successful. He said to me, the political weaponization of prosecutors and the culture of young prosecutors who believe the ends justify the means scares him more than anything he's seen as a threat to the American judicial system in all of his time as a lawyer. That's a really, uh, it's, his comments really numbed me, and it's right in line with what you're saying. We may have a generation of prosecutors who are more interested in the television and in the political effect of the work than in the fairness and legality of their work, and that's something that Bill Barr has an opportunity to address. This is a former United States attorney? Former United States attorney and a very prominent one, and somebody respected by both parties. And it's pretty evident, isn't it? It is. You look at some of the cases. You just read Sidney Powell's book, The License mm-hmm. to Lie, and you see all of these evidences of prosecutors doing whatever they can to secure a win, even when it's not accurate. You know, one of the things the U.S. attorney said to me, the greatest lesson I learned from my bosses in the U.S. attorney's office where I grew up was, just because you can doesn't mean you should. You mm-hmm. have to weigh the fairness, the honesty of your evidence. You can get anyone under pressure to say anything, but is it the right thing to do? And he talked about this culture, and we talked about two things that happened in the Russia investigation. The effort to keep bringing Paul Manafort back a dozen times and try to get him to say something he, he refused to say because it wasn't true. And then the drafting of a statement for Jerome Corsi, where the prosecutors tried to put words in Jerome Corsi's mouth and say, if you go with this statement, We'll let you off easy. And what a bluff that was, right? Because Jerome Corsi wouldn't do it, and he didn't get charged because they didn't have the goods. When we get to that point in the prosecution process where we're making people, we're writing up false statements for people to utter, and we try to bluff people into uh, pleading guilty for uh, a charge, we've lost all the great values that made the American judicial system the envy of the world. And I fear that that's one of the things that this generation of prosecutors who worked on this case and in the cases preceding it may be doing to our justice system. They may be tainting it in the eyes of the world. How does a guy like Andrew Weissman, who has a horrible record of abuse uh, over a period of 20 years and more, how does he he maintain his position in and out of top levels of uh, law enforcement? That's a great question. You know, you know this from having been in the Justice Department. The law enforcement community is a clique. I grew up in a family of all Irish cops, and cops stick together, prosecutors stick together. They often feel like they're under attack, and so they, they stick together. And so it becomes a club and friends, and sometimes that, that was friendships and the closeness that you do blind us to some of the assessments we need to make of people. Listen, one of the best examples of the blindness, the willful blindness that went on in the Russia case, the head of FBI counterintelligence, Bill Priestap, testified, I heard and was told that Pete Stroke was having an affair with Lisa Page. I knew that was a security risk. A Russian or foreign intelligence agent might use that to exploit him down the road, but I didn't really want to ask him about it. That's the sort of danger when you get blinded to not looking at the conduct, not just your friendship, but the conduct, the record that you left in court, the record you left in the FBI. And I think that uh, one of the things that happened in this case was this little clique run by Andrew McCabe and James Comey and Pete Stroke and Lisa Page and, and, and that group, they, they fed off each other instead of having someone, an adult in the room or someone like a Bill Barr saying, hey, let's stop and take a look at what we mm-hmm. look like. Well, let's look at our conduct, not the end results. And I think that that's missing. There, there needs to be more oversight of these uh, uh, agencies. And I think uh, Lindsey Graham has talked very eloquently in the last few weeks mm-hmm. about how he might use Congress to really put a microscope, not because he wants to harm these agencies, mm-hmm. but because he wants to make them better and to keep them from making some of the mistakes that we now know were made. John, I want to thank you. i got to run. i got a heartbreak. I want to thank you, my friend. Excellent, excellent. Yes, we'll have you back next week.
and uh, and we appreciate it. God bless you. He's a good man, man. Does your current office chair support you? If you're lucky, maybe it goes up and down. Compare that to my X-Chair with Dynamic Variable Lumbar Support, or DVL. The X-Chair's DVL provides unbelievably comfortable lumbar support, and every part of the chair can be custom-adjusted to fit you. That's why the X-Chair is equally supportive and comfortable, whether you're 5'2", 110 pounds, or 6'4", 250 pounds. And I can comfortably sit for hours in my X-Chair. And now with the introduction of the X-Basic model, there's an X-Chair for everybody type and budget. Take advantage now of X-Chair's new financing option. Pay as little as 30 bucks a month. Take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. X-Chair is on sale right now for $100 off. Just go to xchairlevin.com right now. That's xchairlevin.com. Or give us a call, 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairlevin.com now and use code XWheels, and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair. That's xchairlevin.com. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. We went long with John Solomon, and we should have. Uh, so we'll be short this segment. But we've got a lot more to cover, so I hope you'll be with us. You know, my friends at Brickhouse Nutrition sent this follow-up note from one of my listeners who I mentioned on the air last week. I have good news and bad news. The good news is I'm still not sick, but thankfully the amoxicillin has helped my wife and daughter recover from the bug. Thanks again for a field of greens. I don't have time to get sick. Now the bad news, he says. This weekend, my son broke his arm after falling off the sofa. Too bad Brickhouse doesn't have something to prevent childhood carelessness. Folks, Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables. And it helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. It's top of the line. It's the easiest way to live a healthier life. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. So you have nothing to lose. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, and use promo code LEVIN, and you'll get, what is it here, 15% off your first order. Or call, we have a new toll-free number. Call 833-RING-BHN. BHN stands for Brick House Nutrition. 833-RING-BHN. And you'll also get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. So let me do that again. BrickHouseLevin.com, promo code LEVIN, or call them at 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN, 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. Now let me tell you why you should do this. This helps boost your immunity. It's 100% USDA organic, a natural source of vitamins and minerals. It includes organic strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, cranberry, pomegranate for antioxidant strength. So I want to strongly encourage you to give it a try. Remember, it's 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. It's really the perfect thing for Levinites to stay strong and healthy. We've got a lot to talk about when we return, ladies and gentlemen. They don't call us the cleanup hitter and the cleanup show for no reason. And I'm glad you're with us. There are other issues that we do want to discuss, though. 
And uh, that does include uh, Ilhan Omar. It does include Louis Farrakhan. It does include Rashida Tlaib. All of whom are embraced by the Democrat Party. And all of whom are bigots. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, not only is Bernie Sanders a millionaire which, of course, is a no-no. Besides, he doesn't produce anything. He doesn't hire anybody. Oh, well, we wrote some really good books. Anyway, uh, I think he gave a whopping 1% of his income to, in charity, something like that, right, Mr. Producer? And uh, Beto O'Rourke, who is married to a, a young lady whose father is, I didn't know he was worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Did you know that? Beto married well. Uh, Beto and his wife gave three, what is it? Three tenths of 1% of their income in charity. Three tenths. You have to work at that. You have to work at that. Here I am, a capitalist. I believe in capitalism. My effective federal income tax rate is 40%, not 26% like the Marxist Bernie Sanders. I haven't figured out my percentage that I give to charity, that we give to charity, my wife and me, but it's significantly more than 1%. I can tell you that. Significantly more. And I don't ask the government for anything. If my family needs help, I take care of my family. If I have a family member who's sick, I take care of my family member. Well, Mark, that's because you can. Right. And so I do. My point is, I don't want myself, my family, to be a drag on society. I want us to be contributors. And if I'm able to take care of things, I take care of things. That's not the case with these guys who go on preaching about charity, which they don't give. About compassion, which they don't have. They're demagogues. Let me get back to where I wanted to go. Louis Farrakhan on YouTube in February 2017. Why are you playing Louis Farrakhan? Well, you'll see in a moment. Scientists agree that the fuel from planes couldn't melt the steel in the Twin Towers, he says. Cut one, go. Scientists have said that the amount of heat from the fuel in the planes could never melt steel. Buildings fell in free fall, like you see implosions that are controlled demolition. There was no plane that attacked the third tower, but it too fell. Huh? Something is wrong with that picture. No steel framed building before or since 9 11 has ever collapsed due to fire. There has to be in the future 
some real independent investigation of 9-11. Why am I playing that? For two reasons. He came to the defense, did he not, Mr. Producer, of Ilhan Omar. With that video, he just posted it, right? Posted it yesterday, even though it's from 2017, and he used it to defend Ilhan Omar and her comments about 9-11 when she was talking at CARE. So Ilhan Omar has the support of David Duke and the support of Louis Farrakhan. And Nancy Pelosi says she's not an anti-Semite. And Nancy Pelosi then has thrown in with them. I'm sorry. It's true. Ilhan Omar in 2013... Really no difference between Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, America, so forth. Cut to go. I remember um, when I was in college, I took uh, a terrorism class. And is there a such thing? Yeah, there was. So there you go, was, uh, there is a lab for that? There was a, there was a class that you... <laughs> Do you go to a lab? No, we learned the ideology of... I'm glad um, you do that. <laughs> and so it was, it was the, the thing that was interesting in the class was every time the, the, the professor said Al-Qaeda, he sort of like his shoulders yeah. went up and, you know... Yeah, he's in command like, here. Al-Qaeda, you you know, He's an expert. And it, was, <laughs> and it was, you know, as What's his if, name? What about his where, name on the area? Not, we, we what does he not have? saying his name. Uh, yeah. you, you probably get to see him on, on CNN. Uh, yeah, of course. I love those guys. But, you know, but, but, but it, is, it is that. You don't say... By the way, is this an SNL skit or something? Who's the other clown? Go ahead. With an yeah. intensity. You yeah. don't say England with yeah. an intensity. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't say... Um, the army with an intensity, <laughs> but you say these these names because you you want that that word to carry weight. Isn't this rambling incoherence disgusting? How excited they are! She's giggling throughout. The other guys having a good old time as the two Islamists talk to each other. This is just 2013. Al Qaeda, Al Qaeda. Hezbollah, oh, his shoulders are up. He's like he's defiant, the professor. He's upset about it. Then America and Britain, you know, army. He just kind of mentions them, mumbles them. You know, but Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah, that carries weight. This woman's in the United States House of Representatives, and she is defended by the Democrats. There's also Representative Rashida Talib. Now, understand, their parents came to this country not just voluntarily. They sought out this country for refuge. They were accepted by you, this country. They eventually became citizens. They had to apply for it and get it. And they mock us. And they mock America. And they're dripping bigots with their anti-Semitism. Here's Rashida Tlaib, Michigan Coalition for Human Rights on Sunday. Cut three, go. Myself and Han and all of us, we, we watch that people are policing what we say. I mean, I constantly, there, people are literally policing what, what do you mean by that? Well, people are literally policing what she says? Are you in the police, ladies and gentlemen? No, we hear your big, vulgar mouth. And the poison that you burp up and spew. And we're going to respond to you. 
I don't care about your genitalia. I don't care about your pigmentation. I don't care about your ancestry. If you talk about people the way that you do, with your hate, with your venom, you're damn right. This is America. This isn't the Palestinian Authority. It isn't Hamas. It's not Somalia. This is America. And in America, reprobates and miscreants and malcontents aren't the only ones who get to speak. Others get to speak, too. And challenge you. And revulse at you. Go ahead. Did you condemn this? I was like, I don't know. Did you condemn that? You know, like, I, no, really. Um, wow, what a leader. So much courage. Go ahead. Why are you asking if I condemn Honestly, I've never felt more Palestinian than I ever felt. In, in Congress. Even now, in what Congress, does that mean? I've never felt more Palestinian than I've ever felt in Congress. I don't even know what that means. Do you know what that means, Mr. Producer? How about feeling American, that you got elected to the House of Representatives? Few people do. No, no, no. I feel more Palestinian than ever. Oh, go ahead. I'm visiting my grandmother. I'm more American like to the Palestinian... But I'm more Palestinian in the halls of Congress than I am anywhere in the country in the world. Um, and that just tells you just the fact that they weren't ready for us. They really weren't. But what the we, hell is she talking about? They weren't ready for us? You mean bigots and anti-Semites? No, we're never ready for that. Now this is the Democrat Party. Make no mistake about it. It's not just care. Or one of these radical, extremist, outlier groups. This is a representative of the Democrat Party. Omar is a representative of the Democrat Party. Trashing our country. When doesn't she trash our country? Tight with a guy who slobbers all over Hezbollah. She's never felt more Palestinian than ever before than in the halls of Congress. Comes to the defense of Omar and her... Comments about 9-11, her snide, mocking comment, that's what it was, and her anti-Semitism. And Nancy Pelosi comes to their defense. She says in an interview with Amanpour overseas that there is no anti-Semitism in the Democrat Party. And these people aren't anti-Semites. There's no problem. But what about David Duke supporting Omar? No problem. What about Farrakhan? No problem. What about Rashida and her map that eliminates Israel and the Jewish people? No problem. Just a difference of opinion, that's all. It's a big problem. A big problem. And they may, in fact, convince more and more Democrats, as James Woods is convinced... And James Woods is a brilliant man, by the way, uh, to vote Republican. Because people despise this kind of behavior, most people. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, 
and her uh, fetish with getting rid of fossil fuels. Cut seven, go. Fossil fuel companies made hundreds of billions while the public paid the lion's share to clean up their disasters. We lost a generation of time. We'll What's she never doing, get- taking a bath or something? Go ahead. Entire species will never get back. Natural wonders gone forever. And in 2017... Oh, it's hurricane- a propaganda video. Oh, go ahead. ...destroyed the place where my family was from, Puerto Rico. It was like a climate bomb. It took as many American lives as 9-11. And in the next year, when I was elected to Congress, the world's leading climate scientist declared another emergency. All right, that's enough. That's enough. Fossil fuels. Let me tell you about fossil fuels. I want you to look around and tell me what is unaffected by fossil fuels. You need fossil fuels to have electricity, to have heat during the winter and air conditioning during the summer, for most of us. You need fossil fuels to cook, whether you use propane, natural gas, whether you use electricity. You need fossil fuels to run your dishwasher, to run your washing machine and your dryer. You need fossil fuels to drive your car. You need fossil fuels so you have tires on your car. Plastic in and around your car and your home. Roofs consist in part of fossil fuels. There's very little that doesn't consist or isn't transported as a result of fossil fuels. You like to eat? Much of the packaging is a result of fossil fuels. How do you think the food gets to the supermarket or the grocery store? Fossil fuels. How do you think the freezers and the refrigerators in those stores stay cold? When you go to a restaurant, how do you think they cook your food? Or let's go all the way to the farmer and the rancher. How do you think they harvest their wheat and their corn and all the other food we purchase and put on our table? Well, fossil fuel. If we didn't have fossil fuel... We'd be a dead society. A dead society. How many more 29 Nimrods, 29-year-old Nimrods, and I don't even know what a Nimrod is, it just sounds good. How many more 29-year-old Nimrods who wish to run our country should be allowed to run our country? Fossil fuels. If we eliminate fossil fuels, just think about how our society would be affected. And if there was an easy way to do that, don't you think we would have done it already? All those greedy corporations and greedy individuals who want to make an enormous amount of money, don't you think they would have figured out how to do it? What do you think, a GS-12 sitting at their desk at the Department of Agriculture will figure it out? You think a politician elected from, uh, where is she, Brooklyn? Queens? The Bronx. Politician elected from the Bronx, the Queens, can figure it out? Or a politician elected from Vermont? People don't know their you-know-what from their you-know-what. Fossil fuels. Tell me, how would we get to the Democratic Convention if we didn't have fossil fuels? How do we wear those stupid hats at the Democratic Convention? Flags, the plastic, the material used to make those flags, you know, like the Palestinian flags. How would we have our Palestinian flags at the Democratic Convention? 
How would we have air conditioning at the Democrat convention with all the gas bags talking there? And yes, how would we feed our vegan friends and our vegetarians? We need fossil fuels to grow plants and things. Asparagus. You know, things like that. We desperately need fossil fuel. And we should thank the good Lord that we have it. And now it's plentiful. That so much of it has been found in North Dakota and some of the other parts of our country. And that fracking has been developed. This is the degrowth movement. I've said it. I've written about it. It is called the degrowth movement. They wish to deindustrialize the United States of America. They wish to attack our capitalist system. It is capitalism, the industrial revolution, the private sector, the profit motive, the market system competition that has created the form of lifestyle that you have today. Not the government. If the government could create wealth, North Korea would be the most it would be the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth. If the government could create wealth, Cuba would be the wealthiest one of the wealthiest nations on the face of the earth. If the government could create wealth, California would be in a better economic condition than Texas. But it's not. It's facing bankruptcy one day, I can assure you. And yet, here we have AOC and AOC. Just to show you how ridiculous the media are. Time Magazine's 100 People of the Year, is that what they have? And AOC is one of them. Why? What has she done? Nothing. Well, she got elected to Congress. So what? What has she done? Nothing. The media lover. The main accuser against uh, Brett Kavanaugh. She's one of the hundred too, along with Brett Kavanaugh. What did she do? Ford. What did she do? She was brave. No, she wasn't. I don't even believe what she said. I said it at the time and I'll say it again. The Time 100. But look at this new class of dummies, I mean Democrats, who are elected. And by the way, they like to say, well, that's only three of them. You know, we have a lot more. We do have a lot more dummies that were elected who lied their way into office, four or five offices in California, a couple offices in Virginia and Pennsylvania lied their way, said that they would vote against Pelosi for speaker, and they voted for her. And they haven't accomplished a damn thing, thank God, but they haven't accomplished a damn thing. They won't even help us secure this country and our border with towns along the border now declaring emergencies because they're overrun. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now, 877-381-3811. In the next few days especially, all the time of course, but in the next few days especially, you're going to want to stick with this radio program. You're going to watch, I hope, want to watch Levin TV, and you're going to want to watch, I hope, Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday. Uh, because we're now in my zone. With this report, with the attack on, on the president, with the Constitution, and yes, the First Amendment and freedom of the press. So I hope you'll stay here. If you just want people to regurgitate what they see on websites, that's a whole other story. But if you want to get to the nub of the matter based on my background and experience, 
I hope you'll stick with us. Now, I don't know where to start. Uh, You'd think with hard evidence from Mueller that there was no collusion, that the crazy media would finally back off. But no, now we need to see the report. And of course, uh, seeing the report, excuse me, the redacted report, I'm convinced that Mueller and his henchmen, particularly this Weissman, have planted a number of uh, number of little time bombs that are intended to go off on behalf of the Democrat Party. But instead, you know, this is what the media do. Now, if you've listened to my shows for any length of time on Levin TV, you know I'm unapologetically pro-Constitution. That includes freedom of the press, real freedom of the press, conservative values, and we're pro-American. I've always told you about what I am, and then I break down the stories that I think you need to hear. And the media are furious that we pull all these people away from watching them over Levin TV and our network Blaze TV. So where does it end? It ends where you decide it ends. When does it end? It ends when you say it ends. That is enough is enough. So check us out on Levin TV. Check us out, our Blaze TV network. Right now, listen to this. You can get 30 full days to watch every show on the network, absolutely three. 30. And if you decide to stick with us, use promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, you'll get a full year for less than eight bucks a month. Start your free trial of our Blaze Network, all of our programs, and Levin TV right away. Call 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV. You can go to blazetv.com, promo code LEVIN, blazetv.com, promo code LEVIN, or give us a call again at 844-LEVIN-TV. Norman Podhortz is a true giant, scholar, intellectual, a man who has traveled intellectually from one place to another. And... He's one of the founding fathers of neoconservatism, but I would say today is actually more of a traditional conservative. And uh, he was interviewed recently. He was interviewed about Donald Trump. Now, many of you might think, well, if he's a neocon, he must be anti-Trump and never Trumper. It's not true. He says, for a while, I was supporting Marco Rubio, and I was enthusiastic about him. And as time went on, and I looked around me, however, I began to be bothered by the hatred that was building up against Trump from my soon-to-be new set of ex-friends. It really disgusted me. I just thought it had no objective correlative. You could think that he was unfit for office, I could understand that, but my ex-friend's revulsion was always accompanied by attacks on the people who supported him. They called them dishonorable or opportunists or cowards. And this was done by people like Brett Stevens, Bill Kristol, and various others. And I took offense at that. So that I inclined, that inclined me to what I then became, anti-Trump. By the time he finally won the nomination, I was sliding into a pro-Trump position, which has grown stronger and more passionate as time has gone by. There's snobbery in it, and there's genuine, you might say, uh, aesthetic revulsion. He's talking about never-Trumpers. It's more than disagreements about policy, because the fact of the matter is they have few grounds for disagreement about policy. I mean, I've known Bill Kristol all his life, and I like him. But I must say I'm shocked by his saying 
that if it comes to the deep state versus Trump, he'll take the deep state. You know, I was raised to believe that the last thing in the world you defend is your own. And I am proud to have overcome that education. I think the first thing in the world you defend is your own, especially when it's under siege, both from without and within. So the conservative elite has allowed its worst features, its sense of superiority, to overcome its intellectual powers. Let's put it that way, because I don't know how else to explain this. I would just amend that slightly. It's not the conservative elite. It is conservatives who self-identify and self-define as elite, as thinkers. They're not thinkers. They're not thinking. That's Norman Podhoretz. Now, his son, John Podhoretz, apparently thinks quite differently. But I'll stick with Norman. And he's quite right about Bill Crystal. Bill Crystal has lost his mind, in my opinion. People send me his tweets. Look at what he's saying. I don't care what he's saying. He's irrelevant. We are in a battle for the future of this country. We are fighting people who are now out-of-the-closet socialists, anti-capitalists, who want to fundamentally alter our Constitution. Not in ways that bring us back to the originalists. No. But in ways that destroy it. These are people who do not believe in the nation-state, who don't believe we should have a southern border. These are people who undermine our foreign policy. We're up against that. People who want to dislodge a legitimately elected constitutional president. You see this tyranny. You see what's taking place. And yet, intellectually, and even intuitively, you don't jump to the defense of the good and the better against the actions of the bad and the worse. What's that all about? And I think Mr. Podhorse's evolution in this regard is reflective of a lot of us, a lot of people. A lot of people in the Republican primary. But you have to, you have to show some sober maturation here. Donald Trump has turned out to be a terrific president. Look at his policies. I don't agree with all of them, but so what? He's a terrific president. And he's terrific in more ways than just policy. He's taking on the left. And he's taking off on their their most powerful force, the media. He's not seeking to legislate against them. He's not seeking to throw anybody in prison. What do you think? He's Barack Obama? No. So uh, I think Pod Hortz makes a very, very important point here. And by the way, Bernie Sanders is a complete fraud and fake. He's been pushing this communist crap his entire pathetic life. And just because it's caught on with aspects of the Democrat Party and most of the media, he's still a fraud. Communism is a fraud. He doesn't want to live under communism. He doesn't want to live under democratic socialism. That's why he takes the benefit of the Trump tax cut. That's the bottom line. That's what Brett Baer and Martha McCollum were getting at yesterday. 
Here's a guy that goes on railing against the rich, railing against big business, talking about the wealth gap, the wage gap, on and on and on. But I voted against the tax uh, cuts, the Trump tax cut. But you benefited from them to the tune of $40,000 last year. You paid a 26% effective tax rate. You're a fraud. You gave 1% of your income, (coughs) excuse me, 1% to charity. They're all frauds. That's the point. In truth. Bernie Sanders saved roughly $38,000 thanks to the Trump tax cuts. So why doesn't he give it back? Because he doesn't want to. Why? Because that would prove. That would prove. You see, his keeping it proves what? His keeping it proves that human nature isn't as he wants it to be. That human nature isn't, as what, he, isn't what he wants to, uh, to, to develop. He wants to create something else. Human beings work. They want to keep most of their money. We wrote popular books. Like, somehow that's different. Well, if he had invented a really life-saving drug, that would be even more important. Well, I wrote books. Did he write his book, by the way? I'm not so certain he wrote his book. I would love to know about that. He strikes me as a guy that doesn't even read books very well. That's just my opinion. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The Washington Compost is reporting that the redactions will be light redactions. Light redactions. So uh, all the talk about redactions, they'll be light redactions. That's what the Washington Post is saying. You know, whether you've got a five-mile commute or you're road tripping across the country, you want to feel secure behind the wheel. That's why you need extended vehicle protection from CarShield. Now, CarShield makes the process of fixing your car for a cover repair super easy. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work. It's your choice. They also provide 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. If your car has 5,000 to 150,000 miles, it doesn't mean you have to pay high repair bills. CarShield has paid out close to $2 billion in claims, and they're ready to help you. Save yourself thousands in future car repairs. Get covered by the ultimate and extended vehicle protection like I did. Call their new toll-free number. New for you, 800-CAR-6000. Mention code LEVIN, 800-CAR-6000. Simple. Mention code LEVIN or visit carshield.com. Carshield.com. Use code LEVIN. Either way, you'll save 10%. That's 800-CAR-6000 and mention code LEVIN. Or visit carshield.com and use code LEVIN. Save 10%. A deductible may apply. David, Superior, Wisconsin, the great WDSM. Go. Wow, great to be on with you, Mark. I, I want to uh, touch on a couple of really brief points. Last time I called, I used the word bada-bing, and my wife encouraged me to be sure because we didn't really know what it meant to get to what the the meaning of the word was. So she made sure, my perfect for me wife, made sure I looked it up, and it means to have something happen effortlessly and predictably. Okay, also, Mark, I've got a... Uh, 
uh, uh, license-free thing to use for the term that you use, their whatever from their whatever, okay? Ocular orbits from anal orifices. They don't know the difference. They're looking at them all the time. All right, my friend. I'm going to keep going. I appreciate the comedy act. But I do. Let us go to Don, Columbia, South Carolina, Sirius Satellite. Go. Mark, just two quick points. Uh, I'm probably stealing this from you, but we don't need to let the left control language. So, for example, instead of sanctuary cities, there's sanctimony cities. And the other is, if you'll tell your audience you have a knowledge of modern Russian history, the, 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 the quote you gave earlier about this journalist or psychiatrist or psychologist that was essentially, essentially giving an amateur diagnosis of Trump supporters, you know, that's a slippery slope because you know what they did in the Soviet Union for people they disagreed with. I mean, the gulags were filled with that kind of bogus activity. So I'll, I'll let you comment on that. All right. Well, I don't necessarily think we have to compare it to the gulags. Maybe one day, but not today. I think we have to call it what it is. We have a guy here who's well-respected, who's well-published in your typical mainstream and left-wing media platforms. He must be saying things they like. And he is he is psychoanalyzing millions and millions of people, trashing them. That there must be something wrong with you. You must fit into one of these vessels here as uh, as not exactly right for a number of uh, uh, psychological reasons for supporting the president of the United States. You know, back in 1964, I talked about this so-called fact magazine, which is out of business because Barry Goldwater eventually sued Ginsburg, the man who published it. Uh, They're the ones who started with the uh, psychological analysis of Barry Goldwater. I believe it was 1,189 of them. And uh, he was was just horrifically smeared, horrifically smeared. So the association of this, that, and the other psychologists, they get together, and they say, well, we really shouldn't be doing this. It's kind of unethical, and they have a Goldwater rule that they create. Well, they broke the Goldwater rule when they were covering Trump. And now they've gone beyond breaking the Goldwater rule. Now they're attacking anybody who supports him or voted for him. Not everybody, of course, they, they are, uh, they are uh, want to say. But most of the people, you know, there's something psychologically wrong. And then they go through and try and figure it out. There's a level of sanctimony. There's a level of conceit uh, among these people. Uh, you can hear it when they speak about Trump, but they also talk about us this way. If you watch MSNBC and CNN, which most of you don't, uh, you hear this every single day. And when you watch the people who are speaking, most of them are low IQ. Most of them are unaccomplished. Most of them are, are wise asses. They're not, they're not serious people. And yet that's how they view us. Thank you for your call, sir. Ray in Demi, New Mexico, serious satellite. Go right ahead. Hey, good evening, Mark. Um, Thanks for taking my phone call. You, you bet. Listen, I, just, I, I hope you understand that not every Democrat that votes is behind this rank and file, like the Schumers, the Pelosi's, the uh, Joe Biden's, the Bernie Sanders. I mean, uh, myself, I voted for Donald Trump. There was no way I could ever vote for Hillary. I I never talk about the rank and file. I talk about the Democrat leadership. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. These people are, uh, among my friends, are completely out of control. I don't. I don't think they. Uh, I don't think they even listen. They, they don't care about us. I, I, I'm not sure what they actually care about, but uh, it, it's it's bothersome. I'm more of a Kennedy, if you understand what I mean by a yes, Kennedy Democrat. You know, and 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 he had that look in his eyes that that like I'm going to make it happen. 
uh, look, these people are... Uh, look, John Kennedy fought for his country, and he loved this country. Politics aside, do you see that in Bernie Sanders? Bernie, do you see that in any of these people? Do you, do, you, do you see this in Omar or Talib or AOC or any of them? These are radical kooks. And it's interesting that Bernie Sanders, only when he wants to run for president, all of a sudden he's a Democrat. When he doesn't want to run for president, he's an independent socialist. I, I don't have a problem Bernie running, but he should be running against Putin. <laughs> he, I, I, I'm, I'm bothered. Well, he won't be running very long, would he? Yeah, no, no. He, we, well, unfortunately, and, and happily for all the rest of us. But, I mean, for the rest of us adult Democrats, I'm, I'm in my 60s, and a lot of my friends, we're real cautious anymore about even admitting we're Democrats. I used to remember Scoop Jackson. You're old enough to remember Scoop Jackson of the state of Washington. Didn't always agree with him, but I knew he was a patriot. Moynihan didn't agree with him a lot, but you knew he was a patriot. I don't see these particular Democrats as patriots. I see them as anti-American. Completely, completely. And I just wanted to say, please don't group us. Do what, don't, don't do what? Well, I don't. Thank you. I absolutely don't. You're welcome. So a lot of union guys are listening to this show, non-union too, but blue-collar workers who are Democrats by birth pretty much. And uh, they're repulsed at what's going on too. You got a lot of vets out there who are, who are or were Democrats. They're repulsed by what's going on too. And they should be. And a lot of them have voted for Trump, and they're going to be needed this time around to vote for Trump. Republicans alone can't do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for sticking with us all three hours, many of you. You can always check out our podcast if you can't be here. Go right to our homepage on our website. We'll tell you how. Don't forget, go to Amazon.com. Jump in. Don't be afraid. Get your copy of Unfreedom of the Press. And we salute all you heroes out there. We'll be here together tomorrow. Stick with us. We'll be just fine. God bless you.